we just sang some pretty powerful things, church. And it's a lot easier for words to come out of our mouths than it is maybe for them to resonate in our hearts. Or maybe it's a lot easier for us to sing them as it is for us to really anchor our lives in them. So I want to give us a moment and just think back over some words that we sang and, and, and just take a moment and pray and say, God, would you be these things for me? So if you would, bow your heads and invite God into your heart right now. Because maybe there's something you're going through in your life and you need him to be that way maker for you. What you think about what you're going through in your life, maybe you need him to be a miracle worker. Or you need the assurance of a promise keeper. Or maybe you're living in a darkness and you need him to bring forth his marvelous light, that he would be a light in your darkness. Or just to know, like we just sang, that he is holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so, Lord, may we know now that there is absolutely nothing in this entire universe that is like you. And so right now we are here for, for you. We are here to hear from you, Lord. We are here to know you and to walk in your ways. And that in your word, David writes in Psalm 68, he says that you are a father to the fatherless. You're a defender of the widows that you are God in your holy dwelling. And so Jesus, would you dwell in our hearts now? Would you dwell in these moments and in these service that we can leave this time being changed by you and knowing just a little bit more how loved we are by you. Nothing that we have done to earn that or achieve that, but just because we are yours. And so thank you for this time and thank you for what you wanna do both here in this room and online, wherever we may be, that we are connected right now as your church and so we are giving you all of, our, all of ourselves. And Jesus, it's in your name. We all pray. And everyone said together, amen. 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 Hey, you guys can have a seat right now. What, a, what an incredible time of worship. And, and we are not stopping. Worship does not stop when we put our instruments away, but it continues as we hear from him through his word. And as we move out into this world with our lives, that our very lives will be worship to him. But if I haven't met you yet, my name is Brad Herndon. And I serve as part of our lead team of pastors around here. My focus is on discipleship. And communities. And I am so glad that you are here this morning, whether you are a regular around here at Heartland or whether you're here for the first time, or maybe you're here for the first time in a long time, or whether you're watching online wherever you may be right now, just that, that you're taking time out of your weekend to come and be a part of what God's doing right here. Today we're continuing a series that we kicked off last week called Ready for More. And that there are things that we are just ready for more of individually, that there are, there are things that we are ready for more of as a church. And that the promises of Jesus is that he never stops inviting us to experience more of himself. Not less. He never stops inviting us to experience more of himself. That just about the time when we feel like we've got his grace or his power or his forgiveness or faith figured out, he says, no, I want you to experience more of that. That's the kind, that's the kind of God that, that he is. And the world offers us more but gives us less, but Jesus is always inviting us more. And so what if as we emerge from this season of COVID or as we emerge into summer or as we emerge into a new season as a church, what if we could anchor and orient our lives around the promises, the abundant and full, the rich life of Jesus that we talked about last week. So every week this summer, we're going to be focusing on part of that full life that Jesus came to give us. And this week we get to hear from our pastor of family movements and an all-around great guy and a great dad. Shibu Matthew here in just a few moments as we learn about the abundance, the more forgiveness that Jesus never stops inviting us into. 
And then we take the life that Jesus gives us and we get to live it out in the world around us. And this is something we do together. This is something that, that we do lock in arms with one another. And so we would love to connect with you, uh, help, help you introduce yourself, let Heartland introduce your, ourselves to you. And so if you're online, drop us a hello in the chat. We would love to know that you're there or hang out after the service where we've got a virtual hub that you can uh, meet some other Heartlanders. And then here, if you're here in person, make sure you swing by the hub on your way out or maybe next week on your way in and get to meet someone from Heartland and hear about some of the things that are happening around here and an opportunity where you can take a next step uh, with God here at Heartland. And uh, we want you to know that our whole reason for being here, our whole reason for being a church is that we wanna make space. And this is what we're doing right now. We're making space for building relationships that make Jesus first. Uh, we wanna wrap our imperfect lives around the perfect life of Jesus and then share that life with those that he has put in our, in our own neighborhoods, in our world. In Heartland, uh, that's what you did yesterday. 60 of you gave up a hot, steamy Saturday morning. You showed up here for our monthly distribution of harvesters uh, food. That went out to over 150 uh, carloads of people. Over 24,000 pounds of food were given away from right over here in this parking lot. And so you can give it up for yourselves. You can give it up for God just for the way. This is not something that we do for the name of anyone but Jesus, and that we want people in our community to know that they're loved not only by us, but more importantly, by their God in heaven, the one that we just sang about. And so I uh, thank you for being a church that continues to give ourselves and give Jesus away. And if you wanna learn how you can continue to further and deepen the mission that he has given us to make Jesus first, uh, one of the ways that we do that is through our financial giving. And so many of you are giving that way, whether it's online or out in the boxes on your way out or through our app. And if you wanna learn about that, this is, this is something that we do not because we have to or because we feel obligated to, but just because uh, many of us feel like we wanna give back some of what God has given us and give it away to fuel the mission that he has given us here at Heartland so that more people can know the name and the love of Jesus. So if we can help you learn more about that, or if you have questions about that, we'd love to help you do so. But today's also a special weekend because we get to celebrate all of the dads out there, the dads here in this room, the dads in our lives. And men, I know, speaking as a dad, that we are imperfect fellows. We all know that. Um, but we get to worship and have an, a perfect father in heaven. We're imperfect, but God is not. Uh, but when, when we love and when we sacrifice and when we're present with those around us, we get to reflect that perfect father to those around us. So we honor you this morning. We celebrate you. And, uh, and then we get to hear from one of our favorite dads, Shabu. And as he comes up here, we're going to get to see a moment on video together, uh, a yay dad moment. And uh, this will set up our message today, but it's an awesome, awesome opportunity for us just to say to all of you dads, yay dads, yay for you. So let's watch this together. Shabu, Curry, and Matthew. Yeah. All right. It is about me walking across the stage, getting a diploma, but indulge me. And, and I just want you to, to hear the tiny voice. Some of you may have missed it just from the back of the room at our, uh, the chapel there where, where this commencement took place. So let's play it one more time and you can, you can see what happens. Shabu, Curry, and Matthew. <laughs> okay. I've watched it 500 times. It never gets old. So. <laughs> well, uh, yay, dads. Uh, dads, you do a lot of things, and some of them are, are really hard things. I want to tell you a story about uh, something my dad, my dad did when I was nine years old, and it was the hard thing to do, but it was the right thing to do, uh, and it helped 
make me the, the boy I was becoming, the teenager I would become, the man I am. And, and it was just a really important moment. So it starts at a, a, a store called Venture, 95th and Metcalf. Venture's gone under, um, probably because of people like me, because this was my first moment of shoplifting. Yeah. All right. I got you now, don't I? So Panami sticker books, all right? These books had blank pages for all your athletes, your favorite athletes, and then you had to buy the book, which I didn't have, and then you had to buy the stickers to hopefully fill the book, uh, and I didn't have any of the stickers, but I wanted the stickers. So in the, in the checkout line, families loading the stuff, Venture was just like a, a target, so just stuff's going on the, on, the, uh, on the conveyor belt, and I look at the candy, and then I see the stickers, I pick up some of the stickers. I actually, I went to Target and purchased one. They're 99 cents. Uh, <laughs> and this is what they look like, just a little package of stickers. So I remember picking up the, the package and just looking. Anybody watching me? No, it's a busy store. And I remember the moment where I just, I, I slipped it here, just under, under a shirt, under the shirt cuff. And then I remember the moment where it just, nonchalantly slipped it into my pocket. Oh my goodness, I just realized I'm training people how to steal. <laughs> All right, don't, don't do that. It's a very bad idea. There you go, disclaimer. But um, now it's there and the deed is done. Okay, so now I'm like, ba-dum, 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 heart's racing, nine years old, have just taken the stickers. Family's finishing the deal, we pay for the stuff, and now the walk out of the store begins. And I'm like waiting to be tackled, like by a security guard or something, or something to beep, you know? When I walk through the first double doors open, I walk out, and it's this moment of like not wanting to look over your shoulder, but we're, we're, we're doing this, we're committed, we're doing this. Still nervous, and then the second door's open, I remember breathing the air and realizing I'm, I'm free. And we walked to the minivan and we piled in the minivan and I went to the back, the back seat just because that was my spot. And, and it's about a 20 minute drive home and now I realized I had a problem because I had no story for the stickers. I had no way to like legitimately display these stickers in my room in a notebook or wherever they might go because the question would happen is where'd you get those? So a brilliant nine-year-old, remember, has this time to concoct a plan, and I, I, just, I decided I knew what to do. The garage doors at home opened. We pulled in, and the car parked, and I yelled out to the front of the minivan, Dad, can I go look in the closet? He said, sure. <laughs> so I, I scurry out of the closet, and I front door, entryway, there's a hall closet where the jackets and the shoes are, and I remember going into the closet, and I moved some shoes around, took the stickers out of my pocket, and just threw them on the ground. I put some shoes back. I buried the treasure. I remember leaving the closet for a moment, and within minutes coming back, and some of you are looking at me like, you did what? You were nine once. You did stuff like this. Come on. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's like uh, a highlight on ADC, America's Dumbest 
criminals are just kind of this like, what are you doing? This is not going to work for you. And, and so I remember I went back into the closet and I just moved the shoes and I picked up the stickers and I went back out into the kitchen and said, dad, look what I found. And he looked at me. He said, where'd you get those? And I doubled down. I said, I found them in the closet. He took the stickers from me. And I never saw him again. And I was, I was busted. I was caught. It's one of those moments where you're like, you just can't escape it. You've done the deed or you've lied about it. And there's just no, there's nothing. You just feel alone. You feel ashamed. You feel isolated. And that's, that's one of the moments we come to in the, in the Bible today. It's an uncomfortable moment. It's in John chapter 8. This person who's been caught and caught in adultery. So she's having an affair and uh, that means there's two people involved and the culture of the day, just the setup is men didn't do anything wrong (laughs) and the women got in trouble. And so this woman is now brought out because she's done something unlawful. And that's the moment that we step into. And it's a, it's a moment. And these moments that I'm talking about, the, the name for these moments is just moments where our sin catches up with us. Sin is simply missing the mark. God has a target for us, a way to live our lives. And when we, when we just miss the mark, that's, that's sin. It's, it's legitimate needs and wants in our life that are met in, in ways that aren't legitimate. And it's when we decide we want to get something in a certain way. It's when we want the stickers, but we don't want to pay for the stickers. It's when we want the stickers, but we don't want to ask dad for the stickers. I didn't even ask. I just took. And this moment in John chapter 8 is is a moment of of sin. Now, sin is in a couple buckets. There's sin that's like sins of commission, like things that we commit and do. And then there's sins of omission, things that we, the good we ought to do that we don't do is what James chapter 4 verse 17 says. Like the person who doesn't do the good they ought to do sins. And so I want to apply just a really wide filter to, to sin, to say it, it catches all of us today, every day of our lives, tomorrow, the rest of our lives. But what do we do in these moments where we feel it? We feel the weight of our sin. So John chapter 8, here's what happens. Early the next morning, Jesus was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. This is the temple. Like, this is their day of going to church, and so it's a busy day, and there's people around, and and the crowds are around, but there's also this this group of people that have, have an agenda, and here's what we find out. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. See, in this moment, the the woman has been trapped because it it actually took two witnesses to catch someone and corroborate that they did, in fact, break the law. And so there's a plan to trap this woman. And then there's also a plan to trap Jesus because Jesus can do one of two things here. He can say, you're right. That's what the law says. And then he is one of them. He's one of them, them being people that catch people. 
and make him pay for it. That's one route Jesus can take. That's why it's a trap. And the other route is for him to say, no, we're not going to stone this woman. And if he does that, he's broken the law. And so Jesus is backed into a corner here. And what I, what I love is what Jesus does here. Pay attention to his physical actions, the words he doesn't say, and eventually the words he does say, because here's what happens next in this moment. It says, Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. He knelt on the ground and just started drawing in the dust. We have no idea what he was drawing in the dust. Is it Pictionary? Is it something like obscure from the Old Testament? What's he doing in this moment? But what we do know happens is that something has shifted. Remember the crowds and all that's happening and, and now this woman has been brought and all the attention is on her. But in this moment, Jesus has taken all the attention off the woman and they're all looking at, at him. And he's drawing in the sand. My buddy Nick is, uh, is trained in de-escalation strategies. So I had coffee with Nick and just, what do you mean? He goes, well, when someone's being hurt physically, verbally, in any way, I know how to help that person. And I said, well, tell me. Like, I, I don't know when I'm going to encounter this, but help me, Nick. And he says, well, first thing that we're trained to do, and there's a lot to it, but you, you ask the person, you come alongside them physically, you come close to them, and you ask how you can help them or if it's okay to be with them. And they may not have words in that moment when they're being bullied or pushed around, but you are with them. And in this moment, Jesus, while drawing in the sand, the woman standing there, whatever distance is between them is really not because he is one with her in this moment. Goes on to say that they just start badgering Jesus. This is the indicator that the, the attention has shifted and Jesus is now the center of attention because they kept demanding an answer, is what the scripture says. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. It's like he, he knows what to do, but he's not going to cave to what society and culture thinks should happen to this person. And now he's put the, he's put the finger on them. They came to nail Jesus. And Jesus has with one statement got them thinking about themselves goes on to say this, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. There's a, a few characters that I want us to reflect on, and they are the condemned, which is the woman in this story. They're the, uh, the crowd, the, the people who bring the rocks. So this is the, the part of the story uh, that I want to think about, where this is, this is the people who come, and they are condemning, okay? 
But then there's the curious, because this happens at the temple, and there's a lot of people around, and eventually they're all just kind of curiously looking in, seeing how this is going to unfold. It starts to attract more and more people as the situation gets more tense, and, and Jesus is drawing in the sand, and he's not responding, and there's this, this atmosphere of, like, it's just, it's becoming a thing. How about you? Which character do you identify with in this story? You know, the condemned person can feel the shame alone, feel the it, that moment when you've been caught. You can feel like the crowd, which I can feel a part of from time to time when I just want to throw rocks, metaphorically speaking, at everyone else's sin and not really pay attention to my own. And I can be really judgy. I do that really, really easily. And then the curious, which I, I was curious about Jesus at a stage in my life and found that I wanted in on this life of following Jesus. And then I still find myself curious back and forth by saying, is that really how much he wants to forgive? And this series, Ready for More, Ready for More Forgiveness is today's focus. And uncomfortable amounts of forgiveness. I think that's when we begin to scratch the surface of how much God loves and forgives each of our sins, all of our sins, the commissions, the omissions, all of that is, is really only tapped into when we just realize it's uncomfortable how much he wants to forgive. These things could be at the top of the surface for you. If you're like, I, I know the sins, I know the commissions and the omissions. If you're like me, it's like just a little reflection yields a pretty long list. And then there's this, uh, this sense that sometimes I don't know what to say I'm sorry for or what to ask forgiveness for. And the Psalms point us to that place. In Psalm 139, 24, it says this, see if there's any offensive way in me. This is a prayer that David writes to God and lead me in the way everlasting. So some of this stuff is at the top of the water, but then some of it needs a little reflection to say, God, where, show me what's, where I'm missing the mark, where I'm, I'm not hitting your target. I, uh, I lied to a friend a few months ago. And it was to save face. It was just to make myself look good, to save face. Uh, and then God didn't let me forget it. A few weeks, a few months went by. God just said, hey, whenever you're ready, son, I want you to talk to that person. I was like, you don't want me to talk to that person. <laughs> no, whenever you're ready, I'm ready for you to talk to that person. And whenever you're ready, I'm going to help you have that conversation. It came. I was able to talk to my friend, and it was a step back temporarily. But boy, did it advance kind of our trust in each other. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what the thing you feel condemned about, you feel ashamed of. What happened last night, last week, 10 years ago? I don't know what that thing is. But here's, here's the big idea today. Find it all. Because Jesus forgives it all. Find everything that you can. And then ask God to show me the offensive ways in me, God. And then take that list and give it to Jesus. 
Because he stands with this woman and he just says, does anyone condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I. Like he's the one who, who could sit in the seat of judgment, but he says, neither do I. Go and sin. Do you remember the last two words? Go and sin no more, he says to her. So wade into the discomfort a little bit more here because here's what this does for me. There's a a quote from uh, Meister Eckhart, 13th century German theologian. Here's what he writes. I want you to read this with me. God in heaven holds each person by a string. When you sin, you cut the string. Then God ties it up again, making a knot and thereby bringing you a little closer to him. Again and again, your sins cut the string and with each knot, God keeps drawing you closer and closer. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it because as the person who's condemned, you know, the first C there is that person. I'm like, I don't know if that's really true. I don't know if the string could be reattached, you know. And then as the, uh, as the crowd who's throwing rocks and judgmental, I don't want to believe that God will forgive everyone's sins. That's, that's uncomfortable for me because my sins, perhaps, maybe I can get comfortable with that, but everyone else's because that's clearly offensive to you, God. <laughs> and that makes me uncomfortable. And as the curious person, I'm just, I'm looking in thinking, no, I don't think that God forgives like that. And it, it begs the, the question that is normal and logical to ask, well, if sin, and remember who cuts the string, our sin, we cut the string, and it is not us tying back the string, but it is God, all God's effort through his son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, coming to us, convicting us of sin, helping us towards righteousness. It is God who ties the string back together. And yes, we're now closer to God. And so the logical question is, well, isn't sin good? <laughs> Paul, the Apostle Paul, answers this question in Romans chapter 8. says, should we sin more since grace abounds? Like since it's all forgiven, shouldn't we just sin more? And, and he says no with an exclamation point. No, like emphatically, that is not the answer. But it is true that our sin when confessed, when dealt with by God in the cross, but then applied to our lives when we decide to accept God's forgiveness. We're closer. We're closer to him. It, it speaks to the, the interesting detail that the crowd dispersed, the guys with the rocks dispersed, but they dispersed the oldest first. And then the ones in the middle, and then the younger ones eventually. Eventually, there's no one with rocks at the seen. It just speaks to, I had, a, I had a shorter list of sins in my life when I was 29. I had a much shorter list when I was 19. And going back to nine at the venture store, I, this list is getting longer for me as my life goes on. And that's because I'm so aware. And I want to find it all because he forgives it all. How about you? What's the thing that you could, you could just bring to God knowing that he forgives it? What if, what if we became a people who forgave others in this way? 
You see, this, this woman did nothing to earn forgiveness. She was given it freely and told to go and sin no more. Like Jesus doesn't like lower the bar for anyone. He says, go from this place and sin no more. Was she perfect? No. But this was the call that she came back to as she thought about this moment. It's the call that the crowd who was holding the rocks came back to thinking about this moment where they dropped the rocks because they knew that they had sin in their lives and they left that moment wrestling with forgiveness. Could God really forgive someone like that? And then the ones who were curious, just thinking about this moment for the rest of their lives, how a woman's life was saved one day and wondering if their lives could experience that same kind of grace and forgiveness and freedom too. More forgiveness. Are you ready for more forgiveness? I'm going to bring the band out in a moment just to, to play a song. And, uh, and as they do, I just wonder what the, what the thing is that's bubbling to the surface. And maybe it's during the song that you are able to, to say to God, here's what I'm sorry for. I want to receive your forgiveness. And, and maybe it's later today where you say, you set some time aside and you, you find it all like you ask God to show me the offensive ways in me. And as you find it all, you realize he forgives it all. I think that's why there's like gratefulness in some of our worship. Like if you look at a person, sometimes it's a physical demonstration of what they're expressing to God. Sometimes it's just inside a really full heart that they're expressing to God. But that, that really only comes when, when you fully seen how much Jesus loves you. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon wrote this, if your sin is small, your savior is small. If your sin is great, your savior is great. What if we became moms and dads, friends, coworkers, siblings who freely offered this forgiveness, freely offered it to, to those around us? because it was first freely given to us. Think of the homes, think of the, the culture that we would begin to create. Let's pray together. God, we, we come to you with a, a sense of our sin at this moment and the ways that we miss the mark. And I pray that, that for those of us that feel condemned, that this would be a moment where we didn't need to hide but could just say to you, I'm sorry. And in that moment, feel the power of your forgiveness through your Holy Spirit in this moment. And God, for those of us who, uh, who are seeing everyone else's shortcomings and sin, we're starting to become aware of our own pride and help us to feel your forgiveness. And for my curious friends in here about you, Jesus, that are just wondering if this forgiveness is real, wondering how this forgiveness could be real for them through these songs, through these words, through these notes, through their prayers would you quickly bring the feeling of forgiveness 
that there might be a quickening in their heart, a, a, a bolstering of courage to know that this is real, your love, your forgiveness, God is real. It's in your name, Jesus, amen.